You're in the water loop. Waterloop is a nonprofit media outlet made possible in part by a grant from Springpoint Partners. For all content, visit waterloop.org. This is episode number 146 The $8 billion Cost of No Water. A new report finds that allowing millions of Americans to live without running water or a toilet at home is costing the U.S. economy over $8.5 billion a year. The biggest impacts to the GDP come from lost productivity, time lost at work or school to access water, physical health impacts, water purchase costs, and mental health impacts. In this episode, George McGraw, CEO and founder of Dig Deep, discusses the report and how closing the water gap would generate $200 billion over the next 50 years. George also talks about recommendations to treat the water access gap as a crisis, refocusing federal funding, and building a domestic wash sector. The conversation will begin in one minute, but first, a word about our sponsor. Waterloop. This episode of Waterloop is sponsored by Varuna. Water systems are facing more requirements and challenges than ever before and have to stay aware and adapt in real time. Enter Varuna. The dynamic web-based tool helps water utilities to stay resilient by identifying more than two dozen risks that are both internal and external. These include all the typical risks that systems have to deal with and also a variety of newer factors such as climate change and environmental justice. Not only does Varuna track risks, but it makes recommendations on actions to take and then changes status in response to measures the utility takes. And because public engagement is so important, Varuna provides information that can be shared with others, including customers. With Varuna, better data means better decisions. Learn more at varuna.city and let them know you heard about it on Waterloop. You're in the Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop, here with George McGraw, founder and CEO of Dig Deep, which is a human rights nonprofit uh, focused on water. Uh, George, how are you doing? I've been well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Happy to talk to you again. Yeah, uh, thank you. Yeah, you guys got some big news to, to share. Um, before we kind of get to your news, um, I wanted you just to explain for people that might not be aware, how many people in the United States lack running water or a toilet? 2.2 million, at least. I think, you know, when most people think of places without running water, it's like, you know, a village in sub-Saharan Africa pops in their mind. But little did they know that these folks are living right here in the U.S. in all 50 states. Mm. What are some of the, I guess, the main communities where, you know, these, these, pe these people live? Yeah, well, it's like I said, all 50 states, it's urban and it's rural. There are definitely some hot spots. Um, mm. Some of the places we visited in our 2019 study, Closing the Water Gap in the U.S., were like the U.S.-Mexico border region in Texas, Appalachia, um, some native reservations at the Deep South, like the Navajo Nation, the Central Valley of California, um, just to name a few. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, but like you said, they're they're everywhere, and I don't think people really realize uh, that there's this many people in the United States in the year 2022 that don't have running water or a toilet. They they definitely think of that the, international crisis. 
Absolutely. And the crazy thing is that that number is going up. We had to look at, you know, the new census estimates for 2020 when we were putting together this latest economic impact study. And um, I think, you know, really discouraged to see the numbers of people without running water increasing pretty steadily. Um, not a huge amount, but you'd really expect that number to be going down, especially since in 2016, we stopped asking people if they had a flush toilet anymore. Um, but no, we're, we're seeing we're seeing a rise, I think, probably fueled by climate change and and the breakdown of existing infrastructure that just hasn't been invested in in so long. Yeah. And, you know, the, the cost of living just continues to rise. Uh, the pressures on households, right, to make ends meet and water's part of that. And so, I mean, maybe there maybe there's a factor there, too, with just kind of the the economic situation in this country that might be just tough on people. Yeah, I mean, if you're anything like me, you're driving down the street every day and your eyes are flicking up at every gas station sign wondering, <laughs> you know, what's it going to look like today? I mean, I'm checking the prices on my cereal at the grocery store. And, you know, for the families that we work with over at Dig Deep, they were already, you know, really aware of consumer prices and, and fluctuations and things like inflation impact them the most because they're already spending sometimes a third or a half of their monthly budget at home on water. And that's, you know, that's on packaged water at the store, that's on the gas or the vehicle wear and tear or the time that it takes them to go collect that water. So even a little fluctuation in the market has a big impact for these folks. They're really feeling the pinch right now. Yeah. Well, speaking of, of dollars, uh, this new report you have looks at the economic cost of, of having 2.2 million people in the U.S. without running water or a toilet. So what's, what's the big bottom line? What did you guys find? We found that the U.S. economy is basically bleeding about $8.58 billion a year that this gap remains open every year. Um, and that, that equates to about $15,800 per household. And that number is modest because it really only counts $1.57 million of that 2.2 um, numbers that we were sure we had for folks in occupied households in the U.S. So the real number is probably much larger, but we know at least that the U.S. economy is losing that $8.58 billion every year. Um, and, you know, we had to count up all the different sort of economic losses um, that add up to that $8.58 billion, which was a really interesting journey. Yeah, that was my question. Eight and a half billion dollars that this economy is losing a year. Uh, that's a significant amount. Could you break that pie down a little bit? What, what do you mean that the economy is losing that? What's, what's the economic toll? Well, you can imagine like water really underpins your whole life, right? It's your ability to go to work. It's your ability to go to school. It's your ability to stay home and, and play with your kids sometimes. It's your ability to stay out of the hospital and, and keep away from medical bills. People without running water also have to spend a ton of money uh, collecting water. Like I said, buying bottled water at the store, paying for gas to haul water sometimes 20, 50 miles away from their home. Um, so we looked at all of those costs on a household basis and then looked at the costs to a community and to the greater economy and tried to total that all up. So we looked at lost time at a job or at school from hauling water. We looked at, we looked at lost productivity um, in GDP because, of course, every dollar you earn, you then spend in the local economy and that creates more wealth. And so if you pull those original dollars out of the economy, you're creating less economic benefit over time. Uh, we looked at uh, how many cases of disease or mental illness this causes. We estimate that just, just for the people in the water gap, this is causing 219,000 cases of waterborne disease a year. It's causing um, just 
at 39,000 cases of diabetes. It's causing 71,000 cases of mental health issues like acute depression or anxiety. All of these things have a price tag and they add up to 8.58 billion a year. Mm. Incredible. Uh, the ripple effect, right? I don't, people don't realize how water, like you said, permeates everything and underpins everything when you don't have it, when you don't have proper access. It's just like the ripples keep going outward on your life, on the community around you, on the, on the country. Um, could you talk more about that cost to the individual? Uh, the $8.5 billion to the economy is key, but the human, the human cost, right, to the person. Just, just talk about that a little more. Yeah. You know, when we were doing our Closing the Gap study in 2019 with the U.S. Water Alliance, we were traveling around to these communities and interviewing folks, visiting them in their homes, talking to public officials, trying to get an understanding of okay, what this problem really looks like and why it hasn't been taken care of in the richest democracy on earth. Um, and we found out all sorts of interesting things. That 2.2 million number, we found that race is the strongest predictor of whether or not you and your family will have running water in in 2022. Um, but we kept hearing stories about the, the daily life impacts and it always went back to money. Families were really feeling this pinch. Um, and at the time we couldn't quantify that, that economic loss. So as soon as we completed that study, we started this one, we've been working on it for more than two years. Mm -hmm. And, um, we really have gone, you know, out into the field to collect data, to talk to families, to understand, you know, what this problem really looks like. I think the strongest part of this study that we're releasing, uh, it's called draining. It's an economic impact study on water and sanitation access. The strongest part for me and for many people, I think will be the storytelling, you know, for each of these losses, we try to empower someone without running water or sanitation from around the country, from places like Appalachia or the Navajo Nation or the Central Valley of California to tell a real life story about how something like this happened to them. And, um, you know, one of those stories uh, belongs to a woman named Tori here in West Virginia, where I'm calling in from. Um, and, you know, she collects water from outside her home from a mountain stream. And she was pregnant with her daughter a few years ago and went to her local library to read parenting books. She was worried about her breast milk. She thought, you know, I don't know if the water I'm collecting from the environment is clean. And I'm worried that that is going to taint my milk and that's going to make my, my daughter sick. And it was causing a tremendous amount of acute anxiety and depression. Um, and, you know, like I said, this is causing 71,000 cases uh, per year of mental health conditions. Um, this is also causing diabetes. A lot of the clients that we work with, you know, go to the store to buy bottled water and they end up buying soda either because it's, you know, more readily available, it's more aggressively marketed. Sometimes it just seems more valuable for the dollar. Um, and so we see, you know, huge instances of diabetes in these populations, which is leading to um, a high mortality rate too, death from waterborne illness and diabetes just for folks living without a running, you know, without running water, without a tap or a toilet at home, we're looking at about 600 deaths a year, about two passenger planes full of people falling from the sky. Mm. And again, we're talking about the biggest economy in the world in the year yeah. 2022, right? Uh, it's incredible. A little sidebar here. Um, I don't know how long you guys have been calling yourselves a human rights nonprofit. Um, Since day one. It, since day one. Okay. I'm sorry I missed that from day one. Uh, <laughs> could, obviously very deliberate. It'd be easy to call yourself a water nonprofit, right? Could you, could you just talk about that? Because what you just hit on, those personal stories, I think underscores why you're saying you're a human rights nonprofit. 
Yeah, I think this study does a really good job, actually, of, of illustrating that. It, if you don't have access to running water or sanitation, it is really difficult for you to live up to your full human potential, yeah. a happy life with security and dignity. You know, without access to water and sanitation, almost every part of your life is impacted. Your ability, like I said, to go to school. We're losing, you know, something like 11 million school hours in the U.S. for children a year. And that's impacting their later ability to graduate from high school and college, to get a higher paying job, to contribute to their family's bottom line. And that causes intergenerational impact. So their children are likely to, to earn less and their children's children are likely to earn less, all because they didn't have running water at the beginning of that process. So it's education. It's your job. It's your health. It's your mental health. It's even the intangible things that we couldn't quantify in this study that sometimes are even more important. Like it's the time you get to play with your kids or to help them with their homework. Um, That's kind of like uh, one of the most valuable things in life right there, uh, honestly. (laughs) Time with your family, you know? Um, So what about, you know, you kind of talked about the family, the, the individual, you talked about the big macro economic impacts on the country, just the community that these people are in. What's then the the economic toll on the communities where, uh, you know, a number of people don't have water and sanitation? Well, you mentioned the the sort of ripple effect. So you have the toll that comes from families in that community without water and sanitation being trapped in the cycle of poverty and not producing money to spend in their local economy. And we estimate that that is costing uh, the the national GDP about a billion dollars a year um, in what are called knock-on impacts. Um, So imagine if I, you know, I'm spending a half or a third of my income on, you know, collecting water every month. That's a half or a third of my income I'm not spending at the local grocery store, at the local bookstore. I'm not spending it on my kids' education. I'm not spending it on a vacation. And so that's rippling out and impacting first the local community, then the state and national economies. Um, so this really, it really, you know, it does suck the money first out of the family. Um, and then it doesn't stop there. The damage really continues. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons I I love your organization is because you guys are solution and action oriented, right? You're out there in these communities dealing with this problem, bringing water and sanitation to people's homes. So I know this report, uh, you know, doesn't just drop the problem and walk away. You guys have some recommendations for for how to start addressing this, for closing the gap, for dealing with this economic uh, impact. Could you talk about those a little bit? Absolutely. I think, you know, the, this report, it can seem like a bummer, but actually the reason we did the report is because it's, it's mostly good news. We also estimated the cost of closing the water gap. And when you compare how much money we're losing to how much money we could potentially gain, um, the U.S. economy stands to gain over $200 billion over the next 50 years if we can close this gap completely. That's a, a five to one return on investment. And I mean, with where the stock market is now and and potentially moving from, well, definitely from a bull market to a bear market, potentially into a recession, you know, we as a nation are really looking for places that we can make investments that not only make people's lives better, but that generate a powerful economic return. And Mm. there's very little that'll generate a five five to one return over the next five years. I mean, over the next 50 years. Um, So this is this is good news. You know, every year that this gap remains open, yes. Suffering continues. We continue to lose money, but we really have an opportunity now to close it and to create wealth. And so we put a we put an action plan in this report. And I think, 
you know, some of the elements are to treat this as a crisis, as an emergency, to increase federal funding and to make it more flexible, um, to treat the, the human right to water and sanitation as a human right and recognize that at the federal level and in private institutions like companies and foundations. Um, but definitely the most important of all of those recommendations is to dramatically increase federal funding for water and sanitation systems, especially targeted at closing this water gap. Because if we learned anything in this study, it's that the water gap has what we call a wrong pocket, a pockets problem in hmm. economics. Meaning there are a lot of people who stand to benefit from closing the water gap. Um, like I said, individual families, their communities, states, national government, but no one benefits enough to be incentivized to make that investment all by themselves. And when you have a problem like that, you need the federal government to come in and lead and guide that investment. And while we're looking at historic investment in infrastructure through the through the BIL, the bipartisan infrastructure law, that money really was never designed to close. And a lot of these families were left out. Mm. I was going to get to that because this was big news in the water sector in the past year, right? Uh, the, the Infrastructure Act and the really, you know, historic level of funding that's going to go out there. Um, and I'm curious as to your analysis, like, you know, where is this going? Where is this flowing? Is it going toward these particular communities and individuals? My sense is not, it's not designed for that. That's kind of what you said. Um, what, what's your reaction to having seen that incredible effort, that incredible legislation, that stack of money, and then still have it not pointed toward this direction? Well, I mean, thank God for that legislation. Hmm. I mean, we, we, we are so behind in infrastructural investment in the U.S. I mean, something like a, you know, a multi-trillion dollar price tag that we have to pay here. And this historic investment in water and sanitation, I think, totaled up to $55 billion, and it's doing really important things, replacing lead lines, making our infrastructure more resilient in the face of climate change, allowing, in some places, that infrastructure to expand and to serve people with access for the first time. But as is so common throughout U.S. history, unfortunately, you know, the, the communities with the least, the most marginalized communities who don't even have taps or toilets at home, you know, weren't really the primary target of the legislation. Mm. And so, you know, most of them won't be served with some really obvious, with some really obvious exceptions, one of them being the amount of uh, money that's headed to native reservations as part of funding to the Indian Health Service. We're really excited about that mm -hmm. at Dig Deep. So it's the, the bipartisan infrastructure law in the end is good news. It's good news for everybody. It's a really important investment that we need to make as a country, but will it go the distance and close this water gap completely? No, we need new and a more targeted investment at the federal level to do that. And it's really, it's really not going to be much. Hmm. I know last time we spoke, you also talked about there needs to be kind of this wash sector in the U.S., the way that there is in other parts of the world uh, to focus on on these issues. Because like the typical systems at EPA or whatever it might be aren't really doing it. Um, so, you know, it sounds like there needs to be some structural change. There needs to be some financial redirection uh, to try to do this. And the federal government really needs to take the lead on that, basically. Yeah. And, you know, I think the federal government needs to take the lead, but, but someone needs to keep the federal government motivated mm. and accountable to these communities. And, you know, it's tough to work in federal government. I have a lot of friends that do it, <laughs> people I respect tremendously. Uh, but there are an awful lot of problems out there to solve. 
And the problems that do get solved the fastest are the ones that have coalitions of organizations and community members and research scientists behind them, pushing the federal government forward, encouraging them to innovate, giving them the data they need, sometimes demonstrating the use of things like technology in the field and showing what's possible. And that, that I think, is the promise of a domestic water, sanitation, and hygiene or wash sector. We see that work in the international community. You know, we've we've extended water and sanitation access to hundreds of millions of people over the last 60 years abroad. There's no reason we can't do that here, but it is going to take working together in a unified, organized way. And so we have been, you know, like I, like I said on this podcast, just, you know, just months ago, I'm reaching out to other organizations and bringing them into partnership with us. And I think this report, this economic impact study is a really great example of what's possible when that happens. I mean, you read the report, you probably saw that there are more than 30 organizations that worked on this. Mm. Uh, we took the lead, but we were joined by the American Heart Association, by the code writing organizations like IAPMO. We were joined by RCAP, by the Center for Water at UCLA, by you know countless others, including international wash experts who, um, mm. who came together and, and built this data. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Um, I mean, lastly, I just kind of want to ask you about awareness. I mean, you know, this 2.2 million people, the economic impact, the economic return that could be seen. Do you feel like there's any more awareness developing in the public or among decision makers that this scale of problem exists in the U.S.? It's almost oh, been absolutely. hidden. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, I, I can I can see it changing day over day. I can see it more in the news cycle. I think that's one of the silver linings of COVID, which I you know could have done without the pandemic and the terrible human toll it took. But it did shine a light on this issue, especially on tribal reservations for the first time. I was just in, and I must have met with six or seven offices on the hillside, on the hills, sort of on the house side and the Senate. Um, just to educate them on this issue, share some of this data in advance, you know, arm them with it so that they could take it to their committee meetings and so that they knew what was happening to their constituents. Um, and almost everyone I met with already knew what the issue was, already knew how big it was, already knew it mattered to their constituents. Some of them have even recently introduced legislation to work on it. So, um, you know, things were quiet on this front for way too long, but I can see that shifting now. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so people that want to check out this report, go to the Dig Deep website, check you guys out on social media. I'm sure it's easy to find. Everyone can Google things these days and track it down. It sure will be easy to find. But if you're having trouble, it's, uh, it's live and available at digdeep.org slash draining. Perfect. Draining. Well, George, uh, glad I got to talk to you again so soon. Uh, awesome stuff you guys do. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and thank you to this episode's sponsor, Varuna. To find all episodes, sign up for email updates, and connect on social media, visit waterloop.org. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.